Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are going through the gospel according to Mark, and so we're going to be picking up at chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship team. We thank you for those serving uh, in the sound booth, Lord, those um, working in in an administrative role, security team, for anybody, Lord, who's serving in any capacity, Lord, with Kids Life and Firm Foundation, Junior High, High School, Lord, thank you for them. And may you use them in a mighty way tonight. I pray, Father, that each and every person who hears your word tonight, who reads your word, will be impacted in the positive way by your word, and that you help us, Father, to apply your word to our lives with the help of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we do pray for safety on the grounds. We do pray, Father, that if anyone, speaking of safety, is not saved, we pray that you convict them of sin, remove the blinders, and draw them to Christ tonight, Father. And I pray personally for the gift of teaching, and I pray to decrease and you increase for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. We're going to cover verses 1 through 12, and the title of tonight's lesson is Holy Matrimony. Holy Matrimony. Now, in this study, as... Jesus addresses the topic of divorce, he's going to talk about God's design for marriage. And unfortunately, the times we're living in, people have made marriage a controversial issue, although it should not be. And it shouldn't be a controversial issue because we we have all that we need to know about marriage in the Bible, the word of God. So in other words, we learn about marriage from the designer, from the creator of marriage. And that's the only definition that we care about or should care about. That's the only definition of marriage or description of marriage that should matter to us or anyone. So what does God have to say about this topic? And we'll see that tonight. And I realize tonight that not everyone is in an earthly marriage. But I promise you, because I I strictly believe tonight that all of us, whether married or not in an earthly marriage, will be able to take something from tonight's study. It's the word of God. And so we do pray for a timely word. We pray for a word that will meet us right where we are, something that we need to hear At this particular time. And so in Mark 10 verse 1. It says then he arose from there. That is Jesus. He arose from Capernaum. Or from the region of Galilee. According to Matthew 19. And he came to the region of Judea. By the other side. Or by the east side of the Jordan River. And so he's going from northern Israel, from the region of Galilee. And remember, he was in the city of Capernaum. And he is going down now uh, south to Judea, according to the map. But technically, whenever you go to Jerusalem, the scriptures say you go up. But if you look at the map, it's south. But it says here that multitudes gathered to him again. And as Jesus was accustomed... He taught them again. Matthew 19 also says that he healed the people. And we can learn something from Jesus as we always can. We can always learn something from our Savior. And what we learn from him here in in Mark 10 verse 1 is that we too need to get accustomed to doing ministry. Jesus was used to that. He was available. He was flexible at all times for ministry. And so should we be. We should be available and flexible. We should go before the Lord each and every day and and ask the Lord what he will have us to do 
to help us to be flexible and open for his use for this day. We should present ourselves to the Lord. Matter of fact, it tells us with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the apostle Paul is telling Timothy, the young pastor, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. He says to convince or correct, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You see, he's telling uh, Timothy, this young pastor, to at all times, whether it seems like it's a good time or not, be ready to preach the word of God. Again, tying that in to what we should be learning from Jesus in this verse, we should be ready at all times for ministry, to serve the Lord, allowing ourselves to be a conduit of his blessings. In verse 2, it says, the Pharisees came and and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Matthew 19 adds the phrase, for any reason. And so it reads like this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? reason? And they were testing him. And Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And again, these are the, uh, the religious leaders speaking, the Pharisees. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So at that time, there were two schools of thought about the reasons for the divorce, the valid reasons for the divorce, I should say. And this disagreement was based on the interpretation of the word uncleanness in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. There were those who were of the school of Rabbi Shammai, and they were strict in their interpretation. And they taught that the word uncleanness in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 referred only to premarital sin or adultery after marriage. And to those who were of the school of Rabbi Shammai, that was was only reason for divorce. That was that strict interpretation. But then there were those of the school of Rabbi Hillel, and he had a more liberal view. He interpreted uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24.1 to mean for any reason. So if she was not looking, you know, up to speed for that day, if she burnt the breakfast or something, you can divorce her. And so those who were of the school of Rabbi Hillel had that liberal view. And so these Pharisees, and no doubt there were some on both sides uh, of this argument here. And so they brought this issue to Jesus. And Moses, by the way, as Jesus taught them, he wrote that precept about divorce in in Deuteronomy 24. Because of the heart condition of men, he he wrote it to give them guidelines. And so you can see that divorce was allowed in in a certain circumstance, but only because of the hardness of man's heart. And so that tells us that it is not God's perfect will or preferred will for people to get divorced. That's not his preferred will. And so something like divorce will fall under God's permissive will, something he allows to happen. Doesn't mean he agrees with it, but something he allows. And so you have the perfect will. And of course, you have this permissive will. And we're going to talk more about the perfect will later on. But I just wanted to point out as well that sometimes we operate in God's permissive will. And when we operate in God's permissive will in different areas of our lives instead of his perfect will, then what happens is we fall short of all that we can become in Christ. We fall short of all that we can experience in Christ. And so, for example, God's perfect will is for all people to repent 
and be saved. That is his perfect will. But under his permissive will, he allows people to choose for themselves. And unfortunately, some people choose to not repent and receive Jesus. And so anytime we're in the permissive will of God, we always going to fall short of God's best for us. In verse six, it says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. This is Jesus speaking. And he quoted from Genesis Chapter 1, verse 27, he goes all the way back to the beginning. They asked him about divorce. Now he begins to talk about marriage. He needs to establish what marriage was all about. How God created marriage. Why God created marriage in the first place. The guidelines for it. He needed to go back to the beginning in order to address their question about divorce. And in verse 7 of Mark 10, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. In other words, to establish a home with his wife. And the two, man and woman, shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but are one flesh, are united, in other words, as one flesh. And so verses 7 and 8 in Mark 10 are, Quoted from Genesis 2:24. Think about that when you, when you think about Christian apologetics and people want to know, is, is Genesis real? Is it history? Well, here you have God himself, Jesus, fully God, fully man, quoting from Genesis. So, yes, Genesis belongs in the Bible. Yes, Genesis is true. It is history if he's quoting from it. And then he says in verse 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so in those verses and verses six through nine of Mark 10, we get plenty of information about God's design for marriage. And one thing that's easy to see is that marriage consisted of one male and one female. Today, we have to say of one genetic male and one genetic female. That's how God created marriage. And notice that when Jesus mentions the genders, he only mentions two. He would know. He is creator. There was nothing that was made that was not made by him, John 1 tells us. And so first of all, it consists of one male and one female. Yes, sometimes we like to complicate things. We see people complicating things today. And why are they trying to complicate things when it comes to gender? How many genders there are? Because they, people want to make a loophole. And they want to get support for things that's going to satisfy their flesh. Oh, the truth is not going to get them their way. It's not going to make them feel good. It's not going to pat them on their back. So they want to make these loopholes, so they make things more complicated than what they really are. And guess what? As they continue to do that, they will always fall short of God's perfect will. They will never meet or, or experience God's best for their lives. They're going to always fall short of that perfect will of God as they continue to make these loopholes. How many genders there are? Jesus says, too, he made them male and female. And so what people need to ask ourselves, what we need to ask ourselves is, number one, do we, need, do, we, do we want to enjoy the passing pleasures? The scripture says that sin is a passing pleasure. It's fun. It's pleasurable for a time, for a season, but it's passing. It doesn't last for eternity. And people want to be stuck there. And so they want it to be patted on the back. They want affirmation for something that many of them believe is wrong anyway. Or we could ask ourselves and need to ask ourselves, do we want God's best for us? So I would suggest to those who are struggling with what gender they are and trying to make up different genders for themselves or people, ask yourself, do you, do you want God's best for you? Then stick to God's perfect will. Stick to the scripture. Stick to his prescription. Another thing we learn about marriage from verses 6 through 9 is that the man is to leave his father and mother. And you see that his wife becomes the most important human to him and vice versa. 
You know, for the, for the wife, her husband becomes the most important human to her. And so what you see here is a new primary loyalty to the spouse. And so the order is always God first and then the spouse. Then it's the children and everybody else, everything else under that. That's the hierarchy in marriage. But something else we learn from these scriptures, from Jesus about marriage is that the man is not just to leave his father and mother, but then cleave to his wife. And that's where people come up with that phrase to leave and cleave. And so in cleaving the two, the man and the woman, the husband and wife, they become one flesh. Now, like how one Bible scholar puts it, he says that marriage is the most intimate union in the human race. And so two become one. And we see that in the establishment of the home. And so the man now shares a home with his wife. So we we see a, a, a visualization, a description of the union In that sense, they share the same home. We see now that marriage is two people coming together and they're living life together. It's not about living life alone anymore. It's a joint livelihood. So now the other person in the marriage has to be taken into account taken into consideration when when decisions are made, whether they're finances or whether it has to do with the location of where you're going to be, where you're going to live, spend the rest of your life. So the other person now shares in your life. And again, in that sense, the man and the woman become one. There is unity there. And then we see that unity in the marriage as the two parent together for they share children. For example, for those married couples who have children, they parent together. So there's unity there. There is unity. And this is obvious. There's, there's unity in the sexual union. According to the scriptures, sex is meant to be enjoyed within the sphere of marriage between one man and one woman. And if it gets outside of that sphere of marriage, then then sex becomes perverted. And so there is that union and that sexual relationship between that husband and wife. We also see that unity between a man and a woman in marriage in their goal. They should have that one main goal for their marriage. And that is for their marriage to be that all that God wants it to be. And so they should be moving in that same direction. And so there's unity there. There should be unity in the sense that there is a shared religious life. And so for the husband and wife, their overall spiritual views should be the same because they should be worshiping the same God, the same God of the Bible. The same Jesus of the scriptures. They should be reading from the same manual, the same holy Bible. So overall, they should be sharing those same spiritual views and they should be one in that. That's why it's so important that believers do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God knows what he's talking about. And that's not, that's not something that God left open. That's a commandment. Says do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And of course that, that verse could be applied to other situations. But since we're talking about marriage, we're applying it to marriage tonight. You're not going in the same direction As the unbeliever. There should be no missionary dating. Don't get engaged to someone who's not a believer 
in hopes that they're going to become a believer later because that's not a guarantee. That's the Bible. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. And then the husband and wife are one in the sense that they complement each other. So each one brings something different to the table in their marriage. One may have a weakness, but that weakness in one, in the husband, for example, may be a strength in the wife. They come together, they complement each other, and it all works. And so in the scriptures, we see that the wife is, or the woman is like the man in the sense that they're both human. She's not any less human than the man is. We see that they're both made in God's image according to Genesis 1, 27. And being made in God's image means, for example, that they possess a personality. Just like God, they have a will. Humans have a will. Both man and woman have a will. They have intellect. They have feelings or emotions made in the image of God. Both male and female. They have morality. He created Adam and Eve. They, they, were perfectly, they were perfect morally. There was no sin there. In that sense, they were the image bearers of God. And of course, he made man with the spirit. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he made man with the spirit. And so we worship God on the spiritual level, on the spiritual plane. That's why we need to be born again. We need our spirit to be made alive because that's where we meet God. That spiritual plane. And also the man and woman are made in the image of God because we reflect the character of God. And so when you talk about being made in the image of God, when you talk about being made human, yes, the woman is, is like the man in that sense, but yet different. And praise God for those differences. I don't want to see anybody looking just like me in my bed. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. You know, it's like, it's like a pair of shoes. When you, when you buy shoes, you don't buy two right shoes or two left shoes. And you don't buy just one of those shoes. You're going to go to the shoe store and only buy a right one. No. When it, it's just like marriage. Those shoes, they look the same. They're both shoes, both the same brand, but yet there's slight differences. And guess what? They come as one pair. They come in one box, and, and I'm sorry if that's a cheesy analogy. <laughs> that's kind of how it is in marriage. The same, but yet different, complement each other. But something else we learn about marriage, moving on from the point of, of, of being um, one or becoming one, is that marriage was created by God to last until death separates that couple. To be married until death does the separating. In fact, God tells us how he feels about it. And so in the next verse there in Malachi 2.16, it says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So you have these negative results coming from divorce and, and God hates it. And so his intention when he created his perfect will is for folks to, to stay married until they're separated by death. And so Jesus says these things and picking up back in Mark chapter 10, verse 10, 
Now they got in the house. They're in the house now. And his followers, his disciples, they, they come to him and they ask him again about the same matter. About this marriage thing, this divorce thing. The people still discussing it today. And so Jesus said to his disciples, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so when you look at the strictness of those words of Christ, it shows that in God's view that that oneness is strong. That there is a strong bond there. And so if that divorce, what we gather from these verses in verses 11 and 12, if, if that divorce was not because of a valid reason in God's eyes, then that man and woman would be committing adultery if they moved on to other partners. Because in God's eyes, because that bond, that unity, that union is so strong, they're still married in his eyes if they were divorced for an invalid reason. But Pastor Durrell, where does it say that there's any valid reason? And, and that's why we go through the scriptures. We go through the Bible because if you would just turn to Matthew 19, verse 9, there's a little bit more added to that. And Jesus gives a valid reason for divorce. He's, he's saying that this is a reason for it, but it's not a must. It's not a command. Matthew 19, 9. Again, we're looking at a valid reason for divorce in God's eyes. We're looking at something that, that separates that, that union between a man and a woman in marriage. And so Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and now we get some detail here, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And so in God's eye, what breaks that, that union is sexual immorality within the marriage. Adultery. Those are grounds for divorce in God's eyes. Grounds for divorce, but not a command. Because I believe that God would rather for healing to take place, for forgiveness to take place, for restoration to take place. Hopefully nobody ends up in that situation of sexual immorality, adultery in the marriage. But either way, there should be forgiveness. And like I said, hopefully restoration. And I truly believe that's God's heart. But if you ask me if these are grounds for it, according to Jesus, sexual immorality within marriage. Yes. That is a valid reason. But then there's something interesting also said in 1 Corinthians 7 because there's another reason added besides sexual immorality. And that reason is abandonment by the unbelieving spouse. And so if the unbelieving spouse leaves, then divorce is a valid reason at that point. If that unbelieving spouse abandons the believing spouse. So according to what I see in scriptures, those are the two reasons. And, and here we see what, what Jesus says, Matthew 19 and 9. And so if you need that reference for that abandonment reason, again, that's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. And I would encourage you to read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 7. And I do want to point this out. In those cases where there's an innocent party, so in other words, the person who was cheated on or the person who was abandoned, that person will be free to remarry. That's scriptural. Okay, I understand that, Darrell, but, but what if someone has already gotten a divorce but is still not married? So the divorce has taken place already. And it's not one of those valid reasons. It's not abandonment. It, it, there's no sexual immorality that took place, but the divorce has happened already. What about that, Darrell? But that person is still unmarried. I'll throw that in as well. Well, 
I would encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 and 11. Because there it says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, now we'll just like to add in parentheses or in brackets, depart for an invalid reason or a non-biblical reason, then guess what? Let her remain unmarried or the other option is to be reconciled to her husband. And I would say vice versa. That would apply to the husband as well who divorces for an unbiblical reason that Jesus does not give or if it's not abandonment uh, by uh, the, the unbelieving spouse. And then to finish off verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Okay, I got that, Darrell, but, but what if someone got divorced for an invalid reason in God's eyes, and now, but they already gotten remarried? What about that, Darrell? They, they're already in that situation. First of all, I want to say this about divorce as a whole. It is not the unforgivable sin. It is not the unforgivable sin. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the sin where that person never has forgiveness. And Jesus said that. But I would also say this in regard to that specific question is that if that person has not already done so, I would say that person needs to confess, repent, and move forward. The Lord forgives. There's no reason of, you know, trying to go back in time, trying to undo and messing up all this other stuff, making the matters worse than, you know, what they are. Just confess, repent, move forward. If that's the case, God forgives. That's not the unforgivable sin. So I will say that to that question. And so as you can see, they, I mean, many questions can come when you, when you start talking about marriage. And so one thing I don't want to take place before we leave here is that people who maybe have gone or through or have experienced a divorce don't leave here condemned. I don't mean that God has tossed you to the side. Okay, and before I get into a deep Bible study on that, I, I just want to kind of leave it there and just remind you once again, the Lord forgives. Especially if you left for an invalid reason. But now after hearing those difficult words from Jesus about marriage and divorce, I like what the disciples said. And they were so honest because in Matthew um, 19 and 10, his disciples said to him, well, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. If it's, if it's that crazy, maybe we shouldn't get married. Well, remember, Peter was already married, though. But then Jesus said, as we continue in, in Matthew 19, verse 11, he said, all cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given. So in other words, this doesn't apply to every single person because, in other words, every single person is not called to be married. And he gives an example or he gives an explanation in verse 12 of Matthew 19. He says, for there are eunuchs who were born thus or that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, by other men. Or humans, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. So he who is able to accept it, accept those sayings about marriage and divorce, then, then let him accept it. Again, not everyone is called to be married. For there were some natural eunuchs from birth, those who were born without the ability due to deformities or whatever the case may be. So they don't have the ability to have sex or to even be married. That's, that's from birth. And so some people are that way, eunuchs by birth. They're born that way. And then you have those who were made eunuchs by men. 
those who were incapacitated by men. And for example, there were, there were men who had been castrated and they had served in the, and you can look up the word castrated. I don't want to explain that. <laughs> but there were men, for example, who were castrated and they served in the palace of oriental kings. And those kings would support numerous wives. They'll have a bunch of wives. And so these eunuchs, these castrated men, they would be the ones to serve as the superintendent of the women's apartment or of that harem. And so some people were made that way by men, by kings, for example. But, but then Jesus says there are those who are eunuchs by choice. In other words, that there's nothing wrong with their body. There's no deformities there. And they have the freedom to marry, but they choose. These are those who choose to live a life of celibacy. That means they choose to live a life where they abstain from marriage and they abstain from sexual relations. The Apostle Paul even got to that point. It's in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows... It is good for them if they remain even as I am. So at this point of his life, he was unmarried. And so he's saying to them, it's good if you remain as I am, single and celibate. But he says, if they cannot exercise self-control, then, then let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So a person who's single and celibate, they can focus more on the Lord. They don't have the distractions of trying to please their spouse and, and these things. But they cannot exercise self-control. It's better for them to marry. Better for them to marry than to burn with passion. And so we see in this lesson that, that marriage is a serious thing. It's a serious thing to God and it should be serious to us. And also marriage is, of course, a blessing. We heard a, a lot, lot of hard sayings, a lot of hard things tonight, a lot of strict things tonight based on the word of God. But marriage, I assure you, is a blessing. My wife and I have been blessed to be married for 23 years. We got married at the age of 18, and she still kind of likes me. Praise God, she still cooks for me. I guess to her, I'm some kind of stud muffin or something, but she's not in here, so I can say that. <laughs> but I hope my wife is learning something from this study. Don't laugh. You're going to get me in trouble. But we've been married for 23 years, so yes, marriage is serious, and marriage is a blessing. I assure you, if it's done the way God wants it to be done, and, and in our marriages, we need to glorify God, and, and we need to be good witnesses. So important. And we can glorify God and be good witnesses in our marriage by, by working through our problems. That's one way to glorify God and to be a good witness for those who don't believe. Working through our issues, of course, with God's help. We could also glorify God or honor God and be good witnesses in our marriage by fulfilling our roles. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the man is the head of the wife. Wife is like the body and they're, they're attached. And so the man leads and the, the woman is the helper who's comparable to him, as it tells us in Genesis chapter 2. It also says that, that the wife ought to submit to and respect her husband, but it tells the husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church. And so husbands ought to love their wives sacrificially. And so when we are fulfilling our roles, that's another way of being a good witness. It's another way of giving honor to God in our marriage. See, besides not having these same spiritual beliefs, this point, that, that point I just pointed out about fulfilling roles in marriages is a good example of why believers should not marry unbelievers. And that's because unbelievers will not be able to fulfill the roles God called us to in marriage. 
Why? Because they don't have the spirit of God. We're able to, if you're a woman, to submit to your husbands and respect your husbands through the spirit of God. If you are a husband, you're able to love your wives as Christ loved the church with that agape love through the spirit of God. And an unbeliever does not have that. And so you're selling yourself short if you are unequally yoked. But we also glorify God and our good witnesses in our marriage by keeping our marriage vows. And so what we see biblically is that marriage is used as a metaphor to give a picture of of the church's relationship with Christ. It gives a picture of the church's relationship with Christ. Because marriage presents the image of a union, two becoming one. And so what needs to take place is that our earthly marriage needs to be a visible picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Now, that would explain a whole lot why Satan would attack marriages. Oh, he, would atta- he wants to attack marriages and is attacking marriage to God's way. Because it's something, first of all, God created and, and Satan has always tried to tear up or mar something that God created. Oh, God created man in his image. And so Satan, oh, what do you want to do? He wants to mar that image in man by, by tempting Eve to sin. And then, of course, Adam ate that fruit with her. Oh, oh God created marriage. So now Satan wants to mar that. Anything God created, he wants to tear up. Oh, marriage. Earthly marriage is a visible picture of Christ's relationship with the church. No wonder Satan wants to tear that up. It explains a lot. And for people who are not in an earthly marriage, just want to emphasize you are a part of the bride of Christ if you are a believer. If you are a believer, you are a part of the bride of of Christ. So don't think this message does not apply to you because here it is. It's applicable to every believer in an earthly marriage or not in an earthly marriage because we are joined when we repent and put our faith in Christ. We are joined to Christ. You see, the church is his body and it says that Jesus is the head. But how does this unity look? This union with Christ, how does that look? Well, first of all, first of all, we, we share his life. Whatever life we have is his life. We have spiritual life because we got it from him. It's a benefit of this union with Christ, being married to Christ metaphorically. Speaking of us who are part of the church. In fact, we, we share his righteousness. The righteousness we have is his righteousness. We're justified by faith. And what happens is that when we put faith in Christ, God the Father imputes Christ's righteousness into our spiritual account. And so in that union, we share his righteousness. In this union with Christ, our purpose is in alignment with his will. There's a correlation there. The scriptures also tells us that in our union with Jesus Christ, as believers, we are joint heirs with Christ. Oh, the scriptures tell us that because Christ had victory over the devil and over death, oh, we share in that victory. Enjoy those benefits you have in that union with Christ. As a matter of fact, as his bride, as people who are part of the church, his body, we are an extension of Jesus on this earth. And so Jesus says, he told his disciples that if you've seen the father, you've seen me. And we, as the bride of Christ, the church, we should be able to tell people that, hey, if you've seen us, you've seen Jesus. Because we should be living Christ-like lives. Oh, people should be seeing Jesus in us. And the good thing about our union with Jesus as the worship team takes the stage is that our relationship with him is eternal. This is an eternal relationship, an eternal union or marriage. He won't let us go. 
In other words, we, we, we see that the husbands, we, we talked about that here, the husband divorcing the wives, putting away the wives and so forth. But our husband, Jesus, will not put us away. Our relationship with him is eternal. In fact, it says in John 10, 28 and 29, it says, and I give them eternal life. You see that? We share in his life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Well, there won't be any separation or no divorce. He won't divorce us, his bride. Our relationship with him is eternal. But, but remember this. Remember we talked about glorifying God and being good witnesses in our earthly marriages. Or for every single believer, we need to be glorifying God in our marriage or in our relationship with Christ. In other words, in our marriage to Christ, there should be loyalty. There should be commitment. They, in other words, we should be standing with Jesus in all matters. matters. Should be loyal to him. We should be submitting to him. As the bride of Christ, we should be respecting him. That's reverence, that reverential awe for him. And guess what? There should be exclusivity. Should be an exclusive relationship. There's no room for idol gods. There's no room for other husbands, so to speak. There's no room for other mates. We should not be committing spiritual adultery is what I'm saying. He is our exclusive Savior and Lord. And when we keep our relationship with him exclusive, then we glorify God in that. We're not to let any God, any person, anything come between us and our husband, Jesus Christ. And we glorify God when we don't allow that to happen. But for people who have not, Receive Jesus yet. And you are not a part of the bride of Christ yet. Just like with an earthly marriage. I would encourage you to, to take it seriously. I would even say count the cost. Because it's a serious thing. Earthly marriage. And right now we're talking about. A relationship with Christ. And so if you never repent it. If you never ask forgiveness for your sins. And receive Jesus Christ into your life. Then right now you are not a part of the church. You are not a part of the bride of Christ. Right now you will not spend eternity with him. If You've never repented and put your faith in him. But tonight, you can put your faith in him. You can become a part of the bride of Christ. You can enter into holy matrimony. A holy marriage with the Savior, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But, but maybe there's somebody tonight. Oh, you're already a part of the body. You are Already a part of the bride of Christ. But maybe. But maybe you, you messed up in. The fact that you haven't been keeping your vows to Jesus. Oh you got. Yeah you're saved and you got. Water baptized and. You showed your identification with him. You showed your commitment to him that from this point on, I'm going to live for him. And that old me is dead. Yeah, you showed that in the water baptism, but somehow along the way, that commitment, those marriage vows got a little lost. And so for those who want to renew your vows, to him in this holy matrimony I would encourage you to 
spend time in confession and repentance and, and that relationship, I promise you, if you do that from your heart, will be restored. He is a God of restoration. And so after service, we like to pray with you for that reason or any reason. But if there's anyone maybe who wants to receive Christ and you're maybe watching or listening online or to the audio at this point, feel free to give us a call and we'll be more than happy to pray with you. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for tonight. We, we thank you that we have entered into holy matrimony with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, and just like we should do with our earthly marriages for those of us who are married, we pray that you help us by your grace, by your spirit to live a committed life. To live a faithful life to you, Lord. And Lord, for the times that we have not been faithful, Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us, to restore Father, may you use us this week according to your will, according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, again, I'd like to thank you all, as always, for coming out, for pressing through for a mid midweek service. Oh, I know it's tough. I used to coach football during the week when my boys were younger. And I know it's going to be hard to press through. You have kids, homeschool and everything. So we appreciate you coming out to serve the Lord. Those of you who joined us online, thank you for joining us. But we're living in some serious times right now, crazy times. So I just keep you all in prayer. Keep all of us in prayer. Just to continue to strengthen that union with Christ to live faithfully and glorify him amen may God bless you on your way home drive safely don't cut anyone off please (laughs) we love you thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word if you have any questions would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.